I was watching the NFL and how they're responding to the situation, and Chris Long was on, on the show. And he said that there is a movement amongst the police union. There's a guy trying to get a law passed that anyone who records a policeman in the line of duty will receive a 15-year prison sentence for actually recording a policeman in do, at his duty. Why can't they record you if you're doing your job? Right. But that's the kind of backlash that's coming out. They hate us, and we know it. As far as a lot of people are concerned, black lives don't matter. And they're upset that it even got started. Well, white lives matter. Yeah, they, everybody's life matters. The problem is you don't think our life matters. And we have to have this conversation. So it's, we're already seeing a backlash. It's, it's quietly kept, but they're trying to build a foundation to stop having their actions recorded because this is how they police. This is how they police the black community and they don't want that to change. Welcome to Bible Study for Progressives, a show where moderates, liberals, and leftists of all faiths and ideologies come together to discuss scripture, spirituality, and politics. We engage scripture in its historical context, plumb its depths for wisdom and guidance, and apply its lessons to current events and social issues. Whether you're a liberal evangelical, a New Age spiritualist, a social justice activist, or a postmodern theologian, there's something in this show for you. Come, be energized in spirit and mind to understand the word and what it means to be a spiritual person in today's world. That was Ira Dotson, director of the Rejoice in Jesus Campus Fellowship at the University of Southern California. We will hear more from him later in the program. In conversation with Ira is Varun Soni, Vice Provost for Campus Wellness and Crisis Intervention and the Dean of Religious Life at the University of Southern California. Dean Soni received his Master's in Theological Studies from Harvard Divinity School and went on to receive his Juris Doctor from the University of California, Los Angeles, where he also completed the Critical Race Studies program. He earned his Ph.D. through the Department of Religious Studies at the University of Cape Town, where his doctoral research focused on religion and popular culture. My name is Rich Procida. I'm an author, attorney, and journalist. I write for LAProgressive.com, and I also produce this podcast, Bible Study for Progressives. I'm currently speaking publicly about the issues I write about and discuss on this show. My email address is rich underscore proceda at justice.com, and my phone 
number is 562-665-3317. If you like this show, please consider donating at my Podbeam or YouTube pages. Let's begin. We underestimate the effects of propaganda on others and ourselves. When politicians appeal to racism, they inflame racial animosity in the communities they serve. This increases and supports structural racism in community institutions. The president influences the entire nation with his rhetoric and messaging. His propaganda reaches people across the country. By using racist or violent language and symbolism, the president increases hatred and violence in our communities and institutions. Propaganda influences our attitudes and behavior. Racism and bigotry are always present, but when politicians appeal to fear and prejudice, they encourage and justify acts of discrimination and violence. People can become mean, vile, dangerous, and deadly. We've seen this mob mentality many times, from lynchings to genocide. We saw this with Hitler and the Holocaust, where people under the influence of Nazi propaganda committed horrible crimes. Systemic injustice encompasses the larger cultural and political situation. The behavior of institutions is influenced by both internal and external forces. The culture and political climate in the community and the nation influences the culture and behavior of institutions. Any analysis of systemic violence involves consideration of the larger system, the world in which the institution functions. The United States is facing a crisis of leadership. President Trump is inflaming racial animosity and stoking division and discord. He has made no attempt to reach across the aisle and is using racist symbols and rhetoric to rile up his base. The president is a danger to the health, safety, and welfare of the nation, and particularly to the lives of black people. Republicans have allowed Trump to get away with violating the law and undermining democracy. President Trump violated the public trust and the law when he withheld public money in order to force a foreign leader to open a politically motivated investigation into his political rival. Had he gotten away with it, he would have used the disinformation to justify opening a sham investigation of Joe Biden, just as he has already begun sham prosecutions of the Miller investigators. This president is willing to conduct show trials to imprison his political opponents and take absolute power. Thank God we pressed ahead with impeachment because had we not, our leaders would be under investigation for prosecuting the president. It would have been easier for Trump to press forward with show trials against his political opponents had we not fought back. Our democracy is under attack. This president is above the law, and the Republicans have allowed him to act with impunity. A president unrestrained 
by our constitutional system of checks and balances is a threat to our freedoms and democracy. No more looking the other way when the president issues incendiary statements and inflammatory rhetoric. No more excuses for why we should ignore Trump or fail to hold him accountable. Our freedoms, democracy, and lives are at stake. This nation has not faced this type of crisis since the Civil War. This election is not only a referendum on Donald Trump, it may determine the fate of our constitutional democracy. The Republicans, President Trump, and multiple foreign governments are attempting to undermine democracy and steal the election. We are all under the influence of propaganda because most of the information we use to make sense of the world is propaganda. Advertising, political messaging, publicity, public relations, news, and entertainment can all be forms of propaganda. Propaganda is the dissemination of information, facts, arguments, rumors, half-truths, or lies, to influence public opinion. Propaganda is good or bad depending upon the motives or intentions of the propagandist. It can be used for good or evil. When politicians appeal to hatred and fear, they instill bigotry and racism into our culture and institutions. All propaganda comes from the top. Propaganda comes from governments, corporations, religious institutions, academia, political parties, and other political and nonprofit organizations. Our trusted leaders use propaganda to motivate and manipulate us. Propaganda can lead us into groupthink, where we adopt the group's point of view rather than coming to our own conclusions. The power of propaganda is that it makes us think we came up with the ideas the propagandist put in our heads. Much of the division and factionalism among liberals and leftists are the result of words and ideas turned into weapons and used against us. Let's look at a recent example. In propaganda terms, the three words defund the police are what we call a glittering generality. A glittering generality is a short phrase or sentence that evokes an emotional response. People attribute their own meaning to the words, and the phrase can have different meanings to different people. This appears to be the case here. For some people, the words defund the police means to redirect money and services currently handled by the police to more appropriate social and community services and development. Minority communities are underserved and over-policed, and this disparity must end. The words defund the police can also be turned into weapons and used against us. Some people react to the sentence with fear, believing it means closing police departments. The right-wing media and the president can use people's misgivings to create division and conflict where none currently exist. The vast majority of Americans support the protesters, but that could change 
if the media and the president can stir up fear and conflict about defunding the police. The news media picked up on the potential for conflict, and the president immediately recognized the potential use of the words as a tool to divide America and put an end to all the solidarity and unity over the murder of George Floyd and the effects of systemic racism. Now is a time for unity and solidarity. The president must be held accountable for promoting hatred and encouraging violence. It's time to get into the streets and vote because immigrants are still in detention. Children are still separated from their parents and black and brown people are still being killed by the police. Now let's turn to Ira Dotson and Varun Soni. One of the things, like you said, that's different this time is that for the first time in the civil rights movement since, 19, since the 60s when Martin Luther King was marching is that the murder of a George Floyd ignited something that had nothing to do with gender, it had nothing to do with ethnicity. It's global. And I think for the first time, we saw a bridge being made between the law enforcement community and the black community. It's difficult to talk about race. You know, I have this thing and I nickname it, I call it the black tax. And whenever I go somewhere in the inner city, we have a black tax. And I'm old enough and I look, you know, I'm not, I don't look like a gangster, but one of the things we experience is something just as small as going to the store. When we go to the store in the black community, the produce is old. It's been recycled from suburbs and brought back into the black community. It's undersupplied and they don't have enough people. They don't have enough manpower. I complained to a manager one time. He said, Ira, I can't do anything about it. I know we're undersupplied and I know we don't get the proper pro produce. He said, but my district manager will not allow me to increase my budget. When we talk about systematic racism, that's what we're talking about. Not being able to purchase homes in certain communities. And I'm living in a community that's being gentrified. It's historically, it's a historical community that was where all the black professionals, and this is where in the 1980s, 85% of the black millionaires lived in View Park, Baldwin Vista, Baldwin Hills, Ladera, and Old Ladera. Now it's 50% white. And I've been here for like 15 years. And now all of a sudden they're improving the streets, they're doing all these things, and they're only doing it because whites are moving in. We've had the same issues. And so there is a lot of anger. At this stage of my life, I just have to decide, am I gonna be angry with this person who I'll probably never ever see again in a city of four million, or do I get angry? Now in my 30s, I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't taking anything from anybody about anything. Now as I've gotten older, depending on the issue, sometimes it's not, it's not that big of a deal. But there is a stress that you deal with by being black in this country. It's very stressful. You don't know. I'm concerned about my grandson. He's 10. 
And we've started talking to him about issues of race. I've talked to my granddaughter and my daughter, and we, we've had those discussions. My granddaughter, my daughter is an executive with Snapchat. And she, she was so stressed that she didn't even, she has not spoken to me in a week because she can't handle seeing that image of a black man who they arrested for $20. And it turns out the $20 wasn't counterfeit. Now, how do you justify that type of policing where you murder a man for a $20 bill? And the scary thing about it is the Minneapolis, I don't know if it's in Minneapolis or it's in the state of, of, uh, of Minnesota, they're trying to come up with a different type of murder that they, you know, really should be first degree murder. And I saw last night, they're like, well, we looked at the law and it may not be first degree murder. Now, this is kind of the same thing with Rodney King. We saw him get battered like with baseball bats on video and they walked away. Now they're trying to backtrack what the whole globe has seen. And the only reason why is because he's black. And so we live with that all the time. I don't get followed in stores anymore, thank God. But I remember when I had dreadlocks, you can say I don't have them now, but when I had dreadlocks, I was always getting followed. I was always having problems with people. And one of the things that deflected that to some degree is the way that I speak. You know, my family, we, you couldn't use improper pronouns and you had to be able to speak English very clearly in my family. So I have a whole different experience, but I'm still a black man. I know there are places that I'm not welcome. I can't, I can't go to Idaho. I can't go to Montana. I can't go to Oregon. I don't want to go to Arizona. I know that when I'm in Texas, there are certain places I can go and I can't go. When I was in Richmond, Virginia, there are places that you can't go to in Richmond, Virginia if you're African-American. And so all these things over the past 400 years is bubbling to the surface. My hope and my prayer is that this, and I'll use this term, and I think you guys might recognize that we're going to have a come to Jesus meeting for the United States, where we're going to have to address this issue. It can't be swept under the floor anymore. We need to have constructive steps to address this. Uh, I'll conclude with this, which is something that I just, I, I couldn't fathom. In the NFL, I think the NFL is 70 or 85% black. And they finally did something. And out of the 32 teams, only four black men were head coaches. That is one eighth of all the people that are in leadership positions. And there are even fewer general managers. But how can they be smart enough to play football, but not smart enough to be a decision maker? That's just blatant racism. You got like anywhere between 70, 85% of the players are black, but they're not good enough to lead teams. So we deal with this on a daily basis. Like some days it's funny, some days it's not. Some days I'm patient, some days I'm not. But I understand that when I leave my house, I may have an encounter that I wouldn't have if I wasn't black. And so, you know, we are angry. I'm angry. I just don't spend a lot of energy on it now. 
but I, it's, it's my prayer that my granddaughter and my grandson won't have to experience this, especially my grandson. He's going to be huge. He's 10 years old. He's 5'3", and he weighs about 120 pounds. He's going to be big. The doctor said he's going to be 6'9". And I thought, oh, my God. And so we have to have conversations with him about race. He was bullied at his Catholic school because he was biracial by both blacks and whites. They cornered him in the kit in the bathroom and they threatened him. His dad called the school and they said, well, that's not harassment since they didn't strike him. And then they let the problem go. This is what we deal with. And so, yeah, we're angry. I don't think rioting is a way to resolve the issues. I think it undermines the legitimacy of what took place. But people are angry. We're angry all the time. We talk about what it's like to deal with white people. We talk about what it's like to see substandard services in our community. We talk about how terrible the schools are. We talk about how poor the health system in, Southern, in South Central LA is abysmal. We talk about the misappropriation of funds that are given primarily to white areas and our area being totally ignored. And we talk about the over-policing. My numbers may be wrong about percentage. I think black men in California is 6%. 6%. The California state prisons population is over 50% African-American. That doesn't make sense in anybody's mind. It means that we're targeted. It means that we're policed differently and that they're looking for ways to remove black men out of the society. And that's part of the reason why our, our, the black, cult, black culture is so messed up. You guys know that the leader of a family is the man. Now, if, if a feminist get upset, I'm sorry. But there's something that a man brings to a, a marriage and to a home that provides stability. One of the simplest ways to undermine and destroy the black community is get rid of the man. It happened in 64 when it came out with welfare. The welfare the bill passed, but one of the, <laughs> I'm not trying to get political, but one of the stipulations was that a, a black woman could not receive welfare if a black man lived in the house household. And here we are, 2020, and what that has produced is a gang culture, a prison culture, a culture of drug use, a culture of promiscuity throughout black cultures. In the music, it's in the movies, and then in the movies, it's ridiculous. I was watching a movie, I had to turn it off. And the movie is one of those, London is burning or London is down and they got to save the, you know, they have to save this, the, the executive. And I, I'll end, guys. I know I can talk a lot. I'm just angry. And so there was a black guy, and I've seen him in a lot of movies. He's British. And he was the assistant to the ambassador to the United Kingdom. The ambassador was Angela Bassett. Angela Bassett, an A-list artist in Hollywood. Well, and I'm watching it. And, and, if, and when you're black, when you watch movies and there's whites and blacks in it, we have a countdown. Like how quickly will the black man die? 
And so I was, you know, I had my watch out and I was ran the, ran the time and the, the black guy who was her, her aide, her chief aide got shot. Now the way they shot him, they shot him through a window and then shot him through his heart. That's how they killed the black man. And then within five minutes, Angela Bassett got a shot in the heart. And they were out of the movie that lasted an hour and 30 minutes. We're disposable to the society. You say it in so many different ways. And we hear everything you're saying. And it might, this generation doesn't seem like they're going to go out quietly. You know, in the, in, in the um, Civil Rights Act, I was talking to somebody about it. And I was explaining to them that one of the reasons why Dr. Martin Luther King was successful is because the FBI and the establishment had to choose between a guy who was talking about peaceful protest and the Nation of Islam. One of the most famous speeches Martin, uh, Malcolm X said is the ballot or the bullet. Now, this time, I don't think they're going to be as patient as the people that march with Martin Luther King. I don't think that's going to happen. If this stuff doesn't go right, we're going to probably have some type of civil war. The difference is that there are a lot of whites that are 35 and younger who are outraged. There are a lot of whites who are positions of power who are outraged. And we have to, we, we can't, the scab is off. But now we have to treat the wound and resolve the problem that is actually meaningful. So look, I, I don't talk often. I'm sorry that if I bored some of you or if I went too deep and, and you want to brush it under the rug, but if you do, you're the very one I'm speaking to. You're the very one I'm speaking to. So I guess you guys can comment, say whatever, I'm gonna go on mute, but you know, I, I'm angry. I'm angry a lot of the time. I wish I didn't have to be angry. I wish I could go to a restaurant in Santa Monica and not be seated by the kitchen door. That's what I wish. So that's it. I got it off my chest. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Ira. I'm so grateful to you for those words and for, for everything, for your leadership. <sighs> I think you're right. I hope you're right, Ira. I hope it's, I hope we're all angry now. I hope it's, I hope it's not, I think for too long, it, it just felt like police brutality was a problem for the black community or my hope is that, and, and, I, and I think it's certainly true with those under 35 that people see it as an American problem, not a black problem, that it's, it's our problem more than, uh, than anything else. And unless people in power, unless white allies, unless police, unless our leaders lead and take accountability for for the way they they do lead it's hard to see a way out and my hope is that this is like a an emmett till moment in a way for this generation where people might have heard about things but the video of george floyd being murdered in front of our very eyes even as the police officer knew he was being videotaped so cavalierly sometimes images can shock us in a way that words can't even. A viscerality of that kind of brutality into the hearts and minds of at least the young people in this country, multi-ethnic coalitions of young people, multi-religious coalitions of young people to actually go out and, and, and be the change. Because you're right, Ira, we're in a situation now in 2020 where schools are more segregated than they were before Brown versus Board of Education. Like, how can this even be possible? 
how can it even be possible that it feels like we're going backwards in 2020? This has been Bible Study for Progressives. If you enjoyed the program, please subscribe to our podcast or put us in your favorites and write a five-star review. Tell your friends about us and share us on social media. Follow us on Facebook and click the donate button at modernlectionaries.blogspot.com. Your support will help us reach more people, produce more and better shows, and cover the cost of production. Feel free to send me a note or comment on the show. I would love to hear from you. Until next time, this is Rich Proceda. Thank you for listening.